This morning we want to focus uh, just on verse 6 of that first chapter, but I'll begin reading at verse 1 once again and read down through verse 7. That'll give us a, a bigger flavor for the passage. Second Peter chapter 1. These are God's words for us this morning, and here's what God says. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them uh, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your, or to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There's no word like your word. And our prayer now is that by your Spirit, the same Spirit that penned these words through the Apostle Peter, that that Spirit would now be stirring in our midst and moving in our hearts, that as we consider this word of yours, that you would change us, that you would create the very thing spoken of here. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're taking 11 weeks this summer, and we're, we're moving through these 11 verses, the first 11 verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, and in particular, we are, we are slowed down, and we are taking seven of those 11 weeks, and we are moving through verses 5, 6, and 7, one at a time, taking a look at one of the character traits that, are, that is spoken, on, uh, spoken of here, uh, which we are the kind of the kind of faith that we are to have in the Lord Jesus Christ is a kind of faith that consists of these qualities of virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And so each week we're considering one of these traits, and yet the starting point, even as we move in this morning and consider the, the trait of godliness, that's where we're at, the very end of verse 6, uh, the starting point in this conversation uh, does not begin simply this morning with considering and cultivating godliness. We began weeks ago. 
For in verse 5, it says, for this very reason. In other words, he's linked what he's about to say in verses 5, 6, and 7, how you and I are to make every effort to cultivate these qualities, how you and I are to make every effort to cultivate godliness in our lives. And yet that's predicated, that's built upon what he has said in verses 1 through 4. He's talked about what it looks like to live in relationship with Jesus through faith in Jesus. And so the the call to make every effort is a call that is for those who are trusting in Jesus. Secondly, the call for those uh, who are trusting in Jesus is a call to realize uh, that we've been given everything we need to live a godly life. Built upon that sure reality of God's grace, we are to make every effort to cultivate these qualities. First, so for, for, for this morning then, we want to consider what in the world do we mean when we talk about godliness. We are to, we are to cultivate godliness in our lives, but that we've got to first think about what is that? And, and then we'll look for a little bit at then practically how we might pursue the cultivation of godliness in our lives. Well, it shouldn't surprise you if you've just kind of stumbled into church this morning that we would be talking about the term godliness. It is a well-used term in church circles. At least it ought to be. I mean, if there's some place we could talk about godliness and, and uh, it not be mocked or ridiculed, you would think that ought to be church. However, it can also be a term that suffers from lack of clear description, lack of clear definition. In other words, what you might mean by godliness and what the Bible might mean by godliness might end up being two different things. So we got to consider godliness by first of all figuring out how can we all get on the same page? What does the Bible itself say about this term? It's a Bible term. It's a great term. And and yet let's let the Bible describe to us. Let's not let a a cultural rendition of godliness set the terms for us. But let's consider the scriptures itself. In fact, fact, the Bible warns against um, a false appearance of godliness. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, when he's warning about some of the error of the last days before the return of our Lord, he describes a people who, he says there, have an appearance of godliness, but deny its power. So, so we, can, we could superficially define godliness and miss the most crucial aspect of godliness. It's, it's possible to appear to be this thing called godly because we would maybe um, uh, display certain traits and yet not be genuinely godly. It's possible for us to gather as a church and talk a lot about godliness. And it turns out it's just a, 
it's just a sham, a, a superficial conversation. It doesn't, doesn't really take root and have true substance. So it's, you see, it's important that we understand what godliness consists of. What are we really talking about at the heart of the conversation? We don't want to start off wrongly. We're to cultivate godliness, but, but first of all, we've got to figure out what is this critter that we are to cultivate. Godliness certainly is not a mere private uh, uh, matter. Uh, it's not a hidden or secret quality. Uh, that doesn't ever seep out or show itself out. In fact, uh, later in Second Peter chapter three verse eleven, uh, Peter implies that godliness is 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 very much on display in our lives. Uh, he says, the, "What sort of people ought we to be, but to live lives of holiness and godliness?" In other words, uh, uh, you and I ought to be able to kind of look at each other and observe how we're doing in life and, and reach some sort of conclusion and about this critter called godliness. Either, either we display it and possess it or we don't. Godliness is first and foremost not something we merely do, and certainly it's not something we merely talk about. I don't know if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, but one of the critters, one of the characters in Pilgrim's Progress was talkative. He loved to talk about the things of God. He loved to talk about things of godliness, and, and, and yet as Christian and, and um, hopeful, uh, walked with him, they, they figured out this guy's a lot of talk. He's uh, a hot air bag, if you would. We could talk about godliness. We could put on a certain persona even when we gather here in this room on the Lord's days and we walk through this building and, and, and we could be Holy Joe on uh, Sunday for a few moments of exterior uh, presentation. But first and foremost, Godliness is not something we merely do. It's not something that we simply talk about. First and foremost, godliness pertains to who we love. Godliness, first and foremost, consists of who is our focus. Godliness, first and foremost, is an, inter, in, an inner orientation of the heart, a, a heart that consists of at least two uh, broad directions. First, a heart of dependence upon the Lord, not self-reliant, self-dependent, but utter dependence upon the Lord. There's the premise, the starting point of godliness. It starts with a heart orientation that says, everything about me, everything that I've received, everything that I am, everything that I am to do consists in living a life of dependence upon the one God who made me and rescued me. But it's not just a heart of dependence upon the Lord. It's a heart of devotion to the Lord. Since, since everything I do have 
does come from him. Since everything that I am is dependent upon him, then everything I have, everything I do is to be done um, for his glory. Godliness is, is about seeing uh, all of life with the Lord as the central or center focus of our lives. Godliness is something that is deep and wide in the heart. Godliness is, is wide in that it disallows um, a mindset of compartmentalization where parts of our lives can be lived with dependence upon the Lord and devotion to the Lord, but other parts of our lives are not lived with a sense of dependence upon the Lord nor devotion to the Lord. What aspect of my life and what aspect of your life is irrelevant to the Lord? Just like there's no one like Jesus, there's no area of our lives that is not to include and consist of and live out of a dependence upon Jesus and a devotion to Jesus. See, this is what we're describing when we're describing this thing called godliness Godliness means that our deepest loyalties and our deepest allegiances are owed to Jesus. Godliness says that our deepest convictions and our deepest resolutions are tethered to Jesus. Godliness says that our deepest needs and our deepest desires and our deepest dependences are anchored to Jesus. Godliness says that our deepest ambitions and our deepest pursuits are toward Jesus. See, that way we... we, we we chase away any notion that we have an appearance of godliness, but we deny the real substance or the real power thereof. Godliness is really about being in touch with reality. Because reality, the reality check moment, the reality is that the Lord is the center of all things in this world in which you and I find ourselves in. I believe it was R.C. Sproul who said, and I think he quoted it from uh, Kuiper, who said, there's not one molecule in this universe that is not under the governance and control of our God. There's not one inch of territory in this universe that Jesus can't rightfully say, mine! Godliness works out of that reality. Reality says that if God is the most central and crucial uh, 
person, being, and all of the universe, then who or what is the most central or crucial being in my heart and in my life? And out of that focus, there's an incredibly both scary and hopeful uh, pattern in Scripture's. And that is, who or whatever you and I focus upon is what who, who, who or what you and I will become like. It, it, you might remember in, in, some, in the psalmist, he, he describes false gods. Well, although they have eyes, they can't see. Although they have mouths, they can't talk. Although they have ears, they can't hear. And then at the very end he says, and, and those who worship them become like them. You and I become like who, like who or what we focus upon. And, 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 and that's the hopeful word for us that if we truly are interested in godliness, pursuing godliness, having Jesus as the central focus of our lives because he's already the central focus of the universe, then that means that we, have, we start the conversation of godliness with focus. We focus on Jesus. We strive to focus upon Jesus. We seek to focus upon Jesus. Jesus, for in doing that, that's how the Spirit of God forms us into the image and likeness of Jesus. We were, we were made to image God. We were made in the image of God to image God, to reflect his image and his likeness in all that we do and all that we are. And we were even redeemed in Christ Jesus so that that image and likeness of God would be restored so that, in the words of Ephesians 4.24, that we would reflect the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're talking about focusing upon the Lord as a, as a, as a as a means by which we would become like the Lord. We're talking about a definition of godliness uh, that built into that description of godliness is the, is the very means by which we might be godly. Ephesians 5. I still chuckle when I hear this, word, this command, these instructions in Ephesians 5. It, it just simply says in Ephesians 5.1, be Imitators of God. You see, a, a conversation about godliness, starting with a focus upon godliness, and which a focus upon godliness will spill over into a reflection of godliness, an imitation of godliness, that, that, that you and I are called to be imitators of God. Now, there's a part this week, I kind of chuckled over this as I'm reading through the book of Numbers, uh, you know, uh, this, this month in, in our Bible reading plan. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was kind of enthused about all kinds of ways I could think about being like God. You know, like uh, when the people kept on complaining and so God split the earth open and swallowed them up alive. I thought, I want to be like that, Lord. Give me, I, just, look, I promise I'll just do it once a week, but still, you know, that's not what we're talking about. Not godliness in the way you and I are to imitate God. It's not having the power to swallow up those who irritate us. 
No, in fact, in, in Ephesians 5, 1, where it says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. You know, the, in other words, the very heartbeat, and, and you can peek ahead if you want. If you look at verses, verse 7, it add to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. So, so I mean, you can, you know, maybe you can come back next week and figure that out, but before we steal the storm for, from, from now, but for now, but, but, the, but there's a correlation to how this flows. It just flows from this notion of godliness, focusing upon the Lord, having him at the center of our lives, and that's bound to spill over into a resemblance. And, and a particular resemblance of how that um, infiltrates our capabilities and desires and commitments to love well. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. No, no when we're talking about godliness, we're talking about reflecting God's loving care and his sacrificial servanthood. So that's probably not going to come with the whole split the earth open and swallow up your, uh, your enemies kind of thing. Nice try, though. Um, so, so, so godliness considers God in everything. Because you know what? God is in the middle of everything. And godliness serves God in everything. Because you know what? God serves God all that he has made in every way. But but let me touch on one other thing before we scoot forward and and talk about more particularly about cultivating godliness. Make every effort to add to your faith or to supplement your faith with virtue. Remember we 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 gave a quick just quickly we gave a definition of what we're talking about. We're Virtue is the desire to do the right thing. You and I are to have a faith in Jesus that has a desire to want to do the right thing. And then supplement your virtue with knowledge. So we want to have a faith in Jesus that, has, that is virtuous, that wants to do the right thing. We want to have a faith in Jesus that is virtuous, and, and, it, it, and, it, and it seeks the knowledge. It wants to know what's the right thing. And then the next two qualities were self-control and steadfastness. In other words, we, we, want, we, want to, we want to supplement our faith with a virtue, a desire to do the right thing, and a knowledge to know the right thing to do. And we want to supplement that with self-control, to choose to do the right thing, even as we are battling, competing inward desires. And then we want to continue to do the right thing, even as we are battling external difficulties. There's a sense in which this word this morning of godliness is the capstone of all that we've said thus far. We, we, we are to supplement our faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness. And, and whereas virtue is the desire to do the right thing and knowledge is, to, is knowing the right thing to do and self-control is choosing to do the right thing in the midst of inward competing desires and steadfastness is continuing to do the right thing even amid the conflict of external difficulties, godliness, godliness circles all of that and godliness adds a, a bit of why, why do the right thing and how. How do we do the right thing? 
In other words, we don't pursue virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness as mere ends in themselves. We, we, could, we could pursue those things in a way that uh, would put a spotlight on ourselves. Hey, look at me. Look at here. Have anybody ever met anybody as virtuous and as knowledgeable and as self-controlled and as steadfastness as me? So let's all, on the count of three, give three cheers for Joe, the most virtuous, knowledgeable, self-controlled, steadfast guy in the universe. So really? Uh, ready? Count one, two. Well, we're not going to go there, but yeah. You were getting ready. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, that's not what this is about. In other words, if you would, virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness are, are handmaidens for a greater matter, and that is we pursue virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness for the purposes of being godly. That is that we would seek to do the right thing for God's glory. And, 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 and how would we pursue virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness? How we would seek to do the right thing dependent upon God's grace. Second, cultivating godliness. Let me say just a few words about, so how do we get there? How do we... How do we grow in godliness? We are to be imitators of God. We are to love like Him and to serve like Him. We are to have Him as a central, uh, uh, as a, as the central focus of our hearts and our lives. First Timothy chapter four verse seven says something really interesting. It says, "Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths." By the way, a modern definition of that might be akin to social media, but have nothing to do with irrelevant, I'm sorry, irreverent, irreverent, silly myths. Rather, so rather than spend your time and your focus over here doing that, rather train yourselves for godliness. Now, I know the Olympics have started, and uh, I, I know just one look at me, and you're, and you're thinking, now that guy has been training for the Olympics for some, for some event, I know. Maybe powerlifting or, or, or something like that. I, I know, I know. It, it just, it's obvious, isn't it? it? I just have that look, don't I, about me? <laughs> you think, that guy better not fly to Tokyo. He ain't ready for much of anything over there. I mean, I, I doubt, even though some guys are doing it, I doubt if I could even keep, compete in the women's weightlifting contest. I would lose that one. Paul said to Timothy, for while bodily training is of some value, I, would, I, I concede, if training for something of a, of a physical nature, uh, uh, for, for the, improve your body, go for it. it that's good. That has some value to it. But he says, godliness is of value in every way um, as it holds promise, he says, for one's present life. In other words, training yourself for godliness is good for right here and right now and also for the life to come. My, godliness, training, disciplining ourselves for the purposes of godliness has value right here, right now, and it has eternal 
value forever. And then he would say in verse 10 of, of 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, for to this end, in other words, because, because training ourselves for godliness has value presently and forever, uh, uh, to, to this end we toil and strive. In other words, we don't drift into godliness. We don't stumble into godliness. We, we don't accidentally back into godliness. If, if godliness, having Christ as the central focus of our lives so that we would um, reflect Christ-likeness in all that we are and all that we say and all that we do, that's going to take some measure of rigorous tenacious stick to that's likened into training ourselves for the Olympics. Or let me, let me see if I can cast it a different way. We might motor through life and we might say, uh, what do I want to do with my life? Now, if I could be mean just for a moment, which is, which is a very natural thing for me, but if I could be mean for a moment, if I, asked my, if I asked rhetorically, what do I want to do with my life? Do you know what the problem with that question is? It's ungodly. I mean, I, I say that I name the name of Jesus, and so there is no category in the universe for which I could ask myself something about my life and not involve Jesus in that. The issue is not what do I want to do with my life. The issue is on level one, what does the Lord want me to do with my life? And yet, an even better, an even better way to frame this question. Now, notice the shift I'm going to make. We, we will move from what do I want to do with my life to what does the Lord want me to do with my life to a better level, and that is, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Do you see the distinction from step two to step three? Or say you find yourself in a hot mess uh, and you say, how am I going to handle this situation? You did it again. You up and was ungodly. Because you found yourself in a mess and you instantly said, how am I going to handle this? Who did you leave out? Only the center of the universe. So, so we move and we say, how does the Lord want me to handle this situation? Better yet, Lord, how do you want me to handle this situation? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you see the picture of what I'm trying to describe to us as to what godliness pertains to? And yet built into this, I'm also describing how you and I move to cultivate godliness in our lives How can I get what I want this week? Who got left out of that question? Yeah. What does the Lord want me to want this week? Better yet, Lord, what do you want for me this week? See, 
How do you cultivate godliness? Well, if you answer, if you ask those questions, putting the central figure of the universe in the middle of those questions, then that begins prompting you to not only ask the Lord directly, that's called prayer, but it also gets you to orient toward his word. So the, 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 a means by which we would train ourselves for godliness is that we would develop habits and patterns in our lives that entailed the ingestion and the cultivation of prayer in the word in our lives. If you and I have no room, no place, because it's busy for, for word and prayer, then you and I do not have functionally the Lord as the central figure, the one who is the central figure of the universe. He's not the central figure of our heart and our life. We're still asking, what do I want? We're still asking, how should I respond? We're still asking, what do I want to do? But the moment that we reset those questions and insert Jesus in the middle of them is the extent that we've opened ourselves up now to turn to God and talk to Him and listen to Him from His Word. And in so doing those, whether we... And it's not either or, it's both am. As we do those privately throughout our week, as we do those publicly, as we gather together in the fellowship, we are training ourselves for godliness, reorienting ourselves and redirecting ourselves to seek Jesus for the unfolding of our lives. The last thing I would remind us of is we are called to cultivate godliness. We're to make every effort to, to supplement our faith with a virtue, our virtue with a knowledge, our knowledge with a self-control, our self-control with a steadfastness, and our steadfastness with a godliness. And on the one level, we are to toil and strive to train ourselves to be godly, and yet, and yet we close with this. He says back in verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need to pertain to life and godliness. Yes, we, it, it requires effort. He's told us that. It requires toil and striving. Paul told Timothy that. And, and yet we don't start with nothing and, 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 and have to fend for ourselves to acquire for ourselves some godliness. That would be having the appearance with no power. No, we start with everything. In the cultivation of godliness, we start with a rich heritage of divine grace by which we have already in Christ Jesus been given everything we need to live a godly life. Implicit in that is that we've been given everything we need to cultivate such a godly life. Or the book of Titus, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us, for the grace of God has appeared, the grace of God has trained us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Turn to Christ. Trust only in Christ. 
and begin the pursuit of cultivating godliness, trusting that everything you and I need for this week and way beyond this week that pertains to godliness and the pursuit and cultivation of godliness, we've already been resourced amply, abundantly, overflowingly in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for the Lord. Thank you for what he has done for us. Thank you for what he has supplied to us. Father, what do we have that we've not received? And since we have received it, oh, Father, help us to live as people who have received it. Help us to not live as people who are still orphans, who have been given nothing. Help us, Father, to grow in how we have an ever-expanding consciousness of your presence in our lives and of the centrality of your lordship over our lives. Help us to seek you in all that we are and all that we do. Help us to depend upon you through all that we go through. Help us to live for you that you might be glorified above all else. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and